you know what? I should not eat pizza before we do this. <laughs> oh. Sorry to all the listeners who have to put up with this. Do you need Tums? I don't know. I'm just wondering if I should have talked about the times that I've like been accused of like being too liberal and like how I teach and then being too conservative and how I teach and uh, yeah. Because that's definitely happened. Hello and welcome to the Methinks podcast, where we have conversations about history, faith, ethics, and sexuality from the perspective of two Christian graduate students. My name is Joel. I'm a PhD student studying philosophy with an emphasis on ethics and epistemology. And I am Maggie. I am a PhD student in history. I have been that for a very long time, and I'm slightly facing an identity crisis as I think about what it'll be like to no longer be a PhD student in history. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. I have a feeling that you're a lifelong learner, a lifelong student. I would happily stay in graduate school forever. That would not be a problem for me. I mean, I would not stay in history forever. I don't know to if clarify. I would enjoy that. I, but I would definitely just switch to a different field and keep studying. That would that would be ideal for me. Honestly, I would love to keep studying and get like just like develop skills and expertise in other fields. But I don't want the pressure that comes with being a grad student. The paper deadlines, the need to conference, the need to publish, TA well, I work. I just ignore most of that. So I think that's why <laughs> I like you it don't. so much. No, but you don't ignore. I mean, maybe some of it, but you carry a lot of academic load on your shoulders. So I have a lot of academic guilt, but it's guilt because I don't <laughs> do those things. Like I don't cave to those pressures. I just kind of internalize the fact that like I should be doing them and I don't. And then it just becomes a an issue. But anyway, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, I also feel like it's worthwhile to say to our listeners and to you, happy Halloween. Although <clears throat> this is a, a little bit embarrassing for both of us, but I'm I'm super happy we're in the same boat here. I walked into my house earlier today and my housemates were getting ready for Halloween. They were putting on their costumes, getting the candy out. And I have never been a passionate um, participant in Halloween. But I walked in today and saw everyone getting ready and was like, wait a second, what is going on? And they're like, today's Halloween. So... Mm-hmm. I was completely out of the loop. Um, Halloween's just not like, you know, a holiday I care too much about. Um, So then when I showed up to Maggie's place to record this episode, I said trick or treat and she had a surprised look on her face. Do you want to explain why you were surprised? Yeah, it just took me a second to be like, why on earth would he be saying that? Like, because you had pizza boxes, which was very kind of you to bring pizza. But at the same time, I was like, why is he saying trick or treat? Because it just did not occur to me that it was Halloween today. I mean, this is partly the pandemic. Like, I have not left my house. I've not been in stores and seen a ton of the decorations and things. Um, But yeah, it just does not occur to me. Usually I hide because I don't have candy and I don't want to face disappointed children. So I like turn off all the lights in my house and like go into my basement. (laughs) But I have not yet done that. So we'll see what the consequences of that are this evening. But yeah, we might have to interrupt this episode Mm -hmm. with um, because of some knocks on the door. We'll see. Just go disappoint some children. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it was sort of hilarious and encouraging that I wasn't the only one who completely missed uh, the date. So as we enter November, I just want to bring your attention to an opportunity that you have to win a free book from the Methinks podcast. So here's how this works. Every person that writes a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes will be entered to win a free book. And we're going to give you the option, if, if we draw your name from the, the raffle, we're going to give you the option between two different books. One is The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. It explores the history of racial complicity in America, and particularly the complicity of white evangelicalism in racism. So it's just a really popular book at the moment, very crucial, very important. So that's one of the options. The other option is a book by a similar sounding name, The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And this is a book that details the history of housing segregation and things like redlining in the United States. So I highly recommend this book. I I think this book is like, it's been it like super important in my own reflection on racism in the United States. So um, did you mention that Color of Compromise is from a Christian perspective and Rothstein's is not? I didn't mention that. You might want Do you to. want to mention that? I mean, I can. Yeah. But you can you can finish what you're going to say. I, I assume you're going to edit this together. But no, this is going <laughs> no, in raw. We're just going. We're going to live this. <laughs> this is going to be live. All right. Um, yeah. So I mean, Jamar Tisby is a Christian uh, historian and author, uh, and heads up a Christian um, Black initiative, The Witness, which I think just announced like a massive change today. Like they've oh. um, incorporated themselves, and I yeah. So he's now calling himself a CEO. So we'll see what happens oh, with that. It's very interesting. interesting. I don't know enough about it. I just saw that on Instagram. But anyway, he's a Christian author, so he definitely writes from a very um, explicitly Christian perspective and a very kind perspective to white evangelicals yes. as well. So it's yeah. not a threatening book in that sense. If like this is something that you feel very comfortable with, this is a good way to read about it in a way that's not like an attack. Um, and yeah. Rothstein is a scholar, a very good scholar. Uh, yeah. So that is also an excellent book, but a very different tone to it. That's right. Yeah. You'll have the chance to win either of those books if you write us a review during the month of November. We will enter you into a raffle and draw a name at random. So I have a question. Yeah. How will we know who the person actually is? We're going to announce it on a future podcast. Like the tag? Hey, so-and-so, you won. And and if they're listening, maybe maybe they've given up on the podcast by then because they think it's terrible. And then we'll keep the book. Yeah. All right. Or we'll just go to the next name in the raffle. All right, I suppose that's a better strategy. But. Yeah, absolutely. So please leave us a review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. It can be scathing or praising, whatever you prefer, and you'll have a chance to win one of these books. Okay, Maggie, you want to tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so one of the things... Um, we are in a very political moment right now, and you and I have mostly avoided talking about the election, which I think is fine and wise in a lot of ways. Uh, but one of the things that has become extremely politicized in this moment is history, just as a discipline. And as a historian, I'm very invested in this conversation. Obviously, I have uh, lots of perspectives and lots of opinions um, on the topic. And I think that it's important we talk about it from a Christian perspective of why this politicization is something that as Christians, we ought to avoid. Um, and there's just some traps, I think, to the conversation that as uh, followers of Christ, we can pretty easily um, 
prevent ourselves from falling into if we really think about what's going on and the history of the politicization of history, uh, which there is a very deep history over this topic. Um, So yeah, I thought that's what we should talk about today. Well, it sounds really interesting. And I'm going to assume the role of a student as if I was one of your students in your your history classes or your culture wars class. And I'm just going to ask a bunch of questions and try to understand and unpack this concept. I think My first question is, what do we mean by the politicization of history? Yeah. So the biggest thing or the biggest example of this would be a recent example is when President Trump on Constitution Day, September 17th, issued a statement about American history and really attacked it like he attacked the far left, uh, saying that the far left has corrupted our curriculum. Uh, Howard Zinn and his project, there's the Howard Zinn Education Project, uh, has given children um, a negative view, basically this idea that the schools are teaching children to hate history. Right. And so he is signing. Or to hate America. Right. Yeah. And endorsing like anti-American values. Definitely. Um, And so uh, he signed an executive order to establish a new initiative to teach. I think he called it the 1776 project, which was kind of a a dig at the uh, 1619 project from the New York Times about slavery. And just saying, you know, we're going to kind of recover a more positive view of American history, a more patriotic view of American history. Um, And he really went after critical race theory, saying that it was child abuse um, for children to be taught this. And that kind of rhetoric and that all or nothing kind of stance, that idea that if you are with me, you will have this view of history. If you are uh, questioning that view, then you're on the far left. That's what I mean by the politicization of history. Yeah. And the example you gave is super interesting. So I'm just looking at some of the remarks by Trump that came out of the White House conference on American history. Mm -hmm. So this happened on in September, and there have been other things going on in that in that issue. But one of the things that the White House said about their views on how American history is taught, they said that our mission in changing some of these procedures is to defend the legacy of America's founding, mm-hmm. the virtue of America's heroes, and the nobility of the American character. We must clear away the twisted web of lies in our schools and classrooms and teach our children the magnificent truth about our country and so on. So yeah, they they talk about some of the problems that have arisen recently as and they talk about far left demonstrators that have chanted words like America was never great and so on. So yeah, you're right. There is a kind of politicization going on here. What do you make of this? Right. I mean, this is history repeating itself as much as history does repeat itself. Um, so the politicization of history has been a, um, a an outcry of conservatives for quite a while. So probably the biggest um, outrage was in 1994 in recent history uh, when Lynn Cheney went after the national standards um, as written by a group of scholars led by uh, Gary Nash of UCLA. And when she published her op-ed basically just saying like this is awful and Lynn Cheney had been the chairman of the National Endowment uh, for the Humanities which was one of the sponsoring organizations to the national standards and she was no longer the chairwoman. Um, But she went after the standards and just said they are trying to write the founders out like she was just enraged over uh, what she called the politicization of history by these historians who were trying to change the way that history was taught and her language is very similar to Trump's I mean she ends her piece by saying we are a better people than the national standards indicate and our children deserve to know it 
I mean, that's the last yeah. line in her piece. That in sounds so similar to what Trump exactly. is saying Exactly. And so yeah. this is the same thing happening over and over again. Um, and, you know, I'll read you something else, actually, from a different time. He says, um, this is me quoting from Walter Lippmann. He says, may I remind you then that the struggles for the control of the schools are among the bitterest political struggles which now divide the nations. It is inevitable that it should be so. Uh, whenever two or more groups within a state differ in religion and in language and in nationality, the immediate concern of each group is to use the schools to preserve its own faith and tradition. For it is in the school that the child is drawn towards or drawn away from the religion and the patriotism of its parents. That's from 1920. Hmm. So this debate is constant. Who, yeah. who owns history? How do we teach it? Um, and I don't think that's going to go anywhere. And I'm not opposed to the debate itself. I want to, I want to be clear. Like, I think that sure. there's some really good things on both sides that are being said. Um, what I am opposed to is Christians becoming entrenched on one side or the other, because I just think it's so unwise. Like mm. there, there's such important things about history and history is so complicated to have this narrative of America was never great versus this narrative of America was always great. They're both untrue and they're both true. Like <laughs> there's just, yes. there's components that are totally. of both sides. And I think that if you ask a child to only have one narrative um, taught to them, like that's unfair to that child. Like you cannot do that I think, in a good conscience. Um, and so there's, of course, different things you teach a child at different ages. Um, but I'm, I'm with other scholars, education scholars and um, historians of education who say that this really does devalue a child's ability to have critical thinking skills. Because most kids, if you tell them, like, hey, this person did this thing well and this thing terribly, they're not going to freak out over that. That's not going to create a ton of cognitive dissonance in a child's mind because they know people, they've met them, they live with them, and they right. realize that people yeah. can do both good and bad things, and that's not their entire identity. And, and we want to yeah. teach students that, yeah. right? We want them to enter the world knowing that the world is a good and beautiful place and it is a harsh and evil mm -hmm. place at the same time. Right. And I, yeah, I think that's important. And I don't understand why Christians are in particular opposed to teaching the mistakes of the American past, um, because especially uh, those of a certain conservative theological view that the world is Satan's domain right. and therefore it's rife with sin. Like why we should would, expect why? Yeah. Why would you expect to see a different historical pattern? Um, and it, it falls along with this kind of like Christian nationalism that I think has just been a, a integral part of American evangelicalism for quite a while. And I think a damaging part of American evangelicalism. Uh, I'm not saying that American uh, or that past Americans didn't have strong Christian values. They absolutely did. Um, there are certainly uh, strong Judeo-Christian values written into a lot of political documents. Um, but there's also ways Ways that those Judeo-Christian values were leveraged to do very unchristian things. And so we can't deny that that happened either. So I just, for Christians, I think we need to be very cautious about buying into this really strong meta-narrative about um, how everything you know, was good. And also just, I think another thing that bothers me about the politicization of history it's insulting to American teachers um, because it assumes oh. that they're only going to follow uh, one or the other kind of uh, ways of teaching. So when people go after Howard Zinn, for example, and they're like, oh, they're just, you know, the little drones of Zinn um, and teaching children exactly this history. Like, that's not 
the only thing teachers are doing. They're trying to get their students to think really critically. Like they're trying desperately to get them to read primary sources. The wonderful thing about primary sources is they're from that time period. Like that's what happened. So if you can get those students to read them and think about them, yes, interpretation matters and the interpretive framework you give students matters. But teachers are trying to show um, students, you know, a a way to understand their country. And I think a lot of them do want there to be a positive um, respect for the American nation and the values that have been traditionally venerated while not denying that we've had a lot of issues. Um, And another thing too is that it seems to... As far as the um, September 17th statement seems to assume that those are the only options, like that there is only the far left teaching of history and that this new project is going to rescue everything. Like there are a lot of other curriculums out there and some of them are actually like the Civic Center, like has the We the People program, for example, which is extraordinarily well designed to not take a political side. I mean, it's kind of astonishing how well they have balanced that and Does how it, they have. Is that a widespread view of the of, program? Of the We the People program? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So and it's not just like people on the left saying, oh, this is really no. well balanced. No. Okay. Um, and I think one of the things that there are, I mean, there certainly are conservative um, units that won't participate because they assume that it's been completely corrupted by the left. And there are also people on the left who are like, oh, no, 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 this is, you know, catering too much to the right. Because when you have any kind of polarized um, movement, you're going to, like anyone who tries to make a compromise or tries to be um, nonpartisan is going to have that issue. Uh, But I think that for that, because it is so interested in having students developed into good citizens, um, that they want to respect the child's own ability, right? And so if you have a child who is leaning conservative, they don't want that child to be alienated and not go into a, a, you know, a career of public service. Like that's not their goal. And so there's, there's just a lot, I think, going for that program. And there's, I mean, there's many others. I just speak of that one because I've, I've been involved in it in a a lot of years, for a lot of years. So I just, I'm annoyed that there's this like lack of awareness of other options that are out there. In some ways, I'm glad that people haven't been talking about it because if it becomes like one of these names that's batted around, like it's going to be like ruined really. I mean, if you you think about the 1619 project, if anyone tries to make anything good out of it, or if anyone tries to condemn anything out of it, they are automatically going to be on one side or the other now. Yeah. Right. And so you can't have a nuanced view of it. Like you just can't. Right. And I think that's one of the dangers and perils of politicization is Mm -hmm. that, Nuance is disregarded. Um, so let me ask you this. What in particular is at stake for certain conservatives who are worried about, say, the 1619 view of history, who are worried about, as the statement from the president says, inundating our history classrooms with critical race theory or inundating them with a history that points you know, points a lot to America's wrongdoings. It's racism, it's subjugation of indigenous peoples. What what, what exactly do we stand to lose from the, the viewpoint of these conservatives? Um, the entire political system. 
is what they are worried about because the argument goes like this, that if you teach children to hate the way that the country was founded, um, those sorts of systems that were put in place, such as the federal government and the relationship between the government and the states or the Supreme Court or democracy or the Electoral College, all of these sorts of things um, are now at risk because it was flawed men who created it and it has allowed oh, for all of these systemic flaws. And so many, and they're not wrong, I want to clarify, they are not wrong. Many of the historians who have criticized this meta-narrative um, have been of a socialist background. I mean, Howard Zinn is, you know, unabashedly a socialist, or was, he passed away, um, unabashedly socialist. And so these kind of like socialist critiques of history, if we accept anything that they say is true, well, then we're going to just go down that socialist past, like a path, right? Um, yeah. And so if we go down that socialist path, um, we're going to have issues. I mean, this was the big debate in the 1940s over history was how do we describe FDR's New Deal? How do we teach children about the New Deal? Because if we teach about it in positive terms, that's going to increase children's ability to uh, vote in a positive way for increasingly um, socialist kinds of packages. Mm. Um, if we are really critical of it, uh, we might allow for a new wave of conservatism to rise after World War II. And so... That's the wow. debate. I mean, that that's what historians and um, intellectuals were arguing about in that time period. Like that you can look back at the history of history um, and see these battles in very explicit terms. Like there's no doubt that uh, they were concerned about very specific political battles. And there's a lot of other ways that there, um, there have been battles over uh, American historical texts. Uh, another really good example is just the inclusion of African-Americans, period like whether or not they should even right. be on the page. Wow. Um, there's anecdotal wow. evidence by textbook salesmen that um, salesmen that well into the 20th century, uh, I mean, I'm talking about like the 1970s, uh, that committees in the South would not buy a textbook if there was even a picture of a black person on the page. Jeez. And so oh if you gosh. have that kind of, um, and they're, they're motivated by money. Like if they're yeah. not going to buy it, they're not going to put it in there. So right. there's also these economic concerns. Um, you also have the religious um, thread to this debate. Um, and that is like the evolution debates and how do we teach about evolution? How do we teach about religion uh, and right. things like that? And so those are also a component of just textbook battles overall, but also how we teach history. So the, the moral foundation of America is also yeah. at risk for a lot of conservatives. Um, if we... If we degrade the moral goodness or the virtue of certain key figures, um, who are we going to look up to? How can we, you know, stand strong as Americans? That kind of concept. But I think the the wider story here, and, and what I take away as a historian and as someone who's very invested in education, is we have to look at the intent. And I do think, of course, that there was this kind of corrective. Uh, that mm. was intended by the national standards, as you were pointing out, that yes, the emphasis was certainly on minority voices and getting them into the story. Yeah. And the panic that Cheney felt comes from this, um, this idea that they're mutually exclu exclusive, that you can't teach the traditional story of American yeah. history and include these voices. And um, I think Nash himself said it's a zero-sum game uh, for conservatives. And I'm not... I, I'm, I question that. I don't think yeah. it has to be a zero sum yeah. game. Like I right. think it's quite possible for me as a teacher to have a lecture where I describe the horrors of lynching well into the 20th century and still be able to talk about how the 20th century advanced and 
like progressed America in astounding ways and really did elevate a lot of people from poverty at the same time. Like those things both happened and I can teach about them and I can do it in a way that doesn't make my students have a conservative or a liberal view Mm. because it happened in the past. And like, I am not to put that my view upon them. I, I feel really strongly about that. So uh, that's, I think, one of the other reasons that I resist this kind of politicization story. I love that vision of a history teacher as like a critical thinking coach as mm-hmm. well. I think that's really cool. I'm looking through this statement by Trump, and I think one thing that was discouraging for me, and I think like you're saying, like people on all sides of the political spectrum should, I think, be discouraged by this. Like this statement doesn't say anything about racism. It doesn't recommend or encourage or exonerate the the importance of talking about racism within American history. Instead, it's just extremely critical of critical race theory and um, says stuff like this. The left is attempting to destroy that beautiful vision and divide Americans by race in the service of political power. And yeah, it just feels like there's a serious lack of balance here. And um, I just, I just... I think you're absolutely right. It feels like we're doing ourselves a serious disservice in terms of our our knowledge of history, in terms of our critical thinking, in terms of our capacity to to empathize and to care about justice if we're not having a balanced view of our nation, which is both good in so many ways and has so many awful parts as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree with what you said earlier too. It seems like Christians, even yeah, Christians have the theological resources to say and expect that America is going to have mm-hmm. a lot of vices. But it, but it just feels like there's a kind of moral cognitive dissonance too that makes it hard for us to embrace this. Like especially for white people to like hear that America has pretty intense racism mm-hmm. all the way through the 20th century, yeah. not just during the Civil War era. Like that creates a right. serious kind of dissonance and I think in our moral conscience. There I is think, something I think to just, be said about yeah. how extreme some of these. Um, ideas are like I do yeah. want to point out like I'm, I'm not totally against everything that President Trump said in the sense that he did go after um, like an attack on almost all of these like really integral components of America such as the nuclear family yeah. as being just a component of whiteness and that is right. out there like there right. are these ideas right. that are out there that hey because of whiteness and it's you know kind of um, vice grip over American history like everything that a lot of people hold dear and I think for very good um, theological and intellectual reasons is being attacked like sure. we can't deny that that's happening that's um, however it's a matter of how strong is that argument how much do yeah people really buy into it how how much has that been um a a continual part of this like there are certain things that have been promoted in american history that have drawn some real concern for american christians um so for example how is um roe v wade taught because that is going to really challenge a a more conservative uh family's values if it's taught in purely as a this was a victory for women's rights unabashedly right um so there are certainly moments in american history where it is just a political moment that how it's taught is very difficult to come across in a neutral way but again what i'm saying here is that i i'm 
I don't think it's wrong for Christians to be part of this argument um, and say, hey, like, like this mm. is not okay to go after and like try the cancel culture, right? To cancel Thomas Jefferson or to cancel George Washington mm. completely. Um, we've had that argument, I think, many times. Um, like you can have that view and not fully buy into the fact that you can't talk about Harriet Tubman six times in the national standards. Like you might be totally fine with teaching about Harriet Tubman and you ought to be totally fine with teaching about Harriet Tubman and maybe teaching a little bit less about, you know, General Lee. And I think that that kind of nuance is where Christians need to settle. We need to be comfortable in that really uncomfortable murky middle between these polarized um, arguments. And, And we need to because we ought to stand for truth. And both of these narratives are trying to put their own stamp on American history and own it in a certain way. And again, I understand the reason for it. And I think sometimes it's impossible to escape it. But we need to be those who say, but is it true? Like, is this really truth or is this interpretation? And that's where um, I think we should stake our claim um, when it comes to this argument over American history. Thanks for joining us on the Methinks podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and if you enjoy the podcast in general, please write us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget that any reviews written during the month of November will be entered to win a free book, either The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby or The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. We'll let you pick if you get drawn from the raffle. So go ahead and leave us that review, and we'll see you next time.